Welcome to Premier Pain Talk, a podcast dedicated to expanding awareness about treatment options for people in pain. Each week, host Dr. Michael Danko from the Premier Pain Treatment Institute in Cincinnati, Ohio, will discuss cutting-edge treatments for pain management that are improving the quality of life for those suffering from chronic pain. Tune in now to learn more about how to relieve pain and restore your life. Welcome to another episode of Premier Pain Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Danko. I'm with me today is a fantastic physical therapist that I, that I know well and a good friend of mine named Dr. Drew Burchett. Uh, he's from Physical Therapy and Balance Centers. Uh, we have an exciting discussion for you tonight about uh, physical therapy and how it's really important for chronic pain. Uh, so as most of you know, uh, the focus for these podcasts is we're trying to improve awareness around chronic pain and what uh, interventions and therapies we have available to really treat chronic pain. Uh, and uh, that has involved bringing on guests like Dr. Burchett to really go uh, much deeper on topics that uh, that he's the expert on, uh, not me. Uh, so he's a physical therapist with 11 years experience, um, and uh, he's a specialty certification in physical therapy treatments for chronic pain. Uh, so he's really a uh, an expert in this in this field, and and we're gonna have a great discussion on physical therapy. Um, welcome to the podcast, and uh, uh, Dr. Burchett. Thanks, uh, thanks, uh, Mike. It's uh, great to be here, and I'm uh, really excited to discuss this and have a um, really in depth discussion about the different interventions that uh, physical therapists can provide for chronic pain patients. All right, and then uh, yeah, so since we know each other well, we're gonna go by Drew and Mike. Uh, make it nice and easy, so we don't kind of be awkward with each other talking back and forth here. Um, but now kind of starting this off, I wanted to talk a bit about, you know, how the approach to, to physical therapy is different for different conditions and, and different really uh, time courses. So most of the patients that have chronic pain, uh, you know, they, they've been dealing with this for a long time. Uh, and they, they may have done physical therapy early on when the issue was, was new or acute, um, but then often, uh, for one reason or another, they may get sent back to physical therapy when for an ongoing condition that's really more of what we consider a term a chronic condition. So uh, just talk a bit about the, your approach to treating chronic pain and how that may differ from a brand new or, or acute injury. Yeah, so uh, the difference between uh, acute injury or injured patients and uh, chronic pain patients, uh, I really try to make the focus less on their actual you know, pain number and what, what they're feeling when they're a chronic pain patient. Uh, when it's an acute injury patient, we really try to get them out of pain as fast as possible. And that's, that's typically um, pretty successful as far as physical therapy interventions. And, and we're going to go a little bit further into depth of different things that we can do to help with, um, with chronic pain. Um, but when it comes to the chronic or the chronicity of uh, pain with patients, we spend a little bit more time, you know, really trying to get to know the patients and, um, you know, maybe even a little more of the psychological side of the pain as well. Um, but not truly focusing on the pain, just focusing, you know, the pain number. That's, that's what all the patients are always obsessed with. You know, what's your pain number? What is it now? What was it before? Um, but we really try to focus on, do you feel better? You know, what, you know, what, what else can you do now that your pain is less and really focus on that aspect of, the chronic pain patient and vastly different than the acute injured patient. When you have a patient with, uh, with chronic pain and, uh, you know, a lot of times since they've done therapy before that they, they have a, a story or a concern that, that they've already tried it and it made their pain worse or they, or it didn't work. And they, they understand that, that for 
maybe for an insurance reason or another reason, there may be a, a requirement where they have to go and complete a certain amount. Uh, and so getting those patients to, to participate in the full session, I'm sure on your end, that probably requires a lot of buy-in on the, on the front end to get them to continue with it. So as far as that, when a, why should a patient come back to physical therapy to start over again? And, and how, how can you help avoid, you know, maybe how assess and avoid you know, some of the pitfalls with their previous attempts at therapy? Yeah, I think I think the the problem here is there there are physical therapists that are very good at um, at fixing different injuries. You know, sports medicine physical therapists are great at fixing you know an ACL, but the chronic pain therapist the, or the therapist that really focuses on that needs to look at things completely different. And that's kind of the trick is uh, to kind of get get the patient to kind of buy into the therapy. Um, and buy into your treatment ideas. Uh, a lot of times uh, I have patients all the time that walk in and say, you know, I've had, I've had physical therapy before and it, it doesn't work. So why am I here? And they're like, or, or they say, you know, like you said, that I'm just here for the six visits so I can get my MRI. And, and I really try to focus on getting them to buy into a different program. I say, hey, you've never tried therapy with me before. I'm going to try some different things that you've never done before. Or I'll stop them right there and say, tell me what, what you've done before and tell me what was not successful. Because if I know what's not successful, then I'm going to go completely different and try different interventions and different uh, techniques and different treatments so that we can find something that'll work for the patient. And I find the, the biggest thing is, is once you can gain their trust, you can get them to you know, stay for the full six treatments. And if that, if that you know, ends up reducing their pain, awesome. Or if it's just a six treatment session to get them their MRI, they still feel that you, you know, gave it your best shot, um, or you, you know, you really want to make them feel better. And I think that's kind of the trick is, you know, they, they really think that you are trying to help them rather than you're just there to, you know, collect their insurance money and walk away. Patient with chronic pain, uh, the, how often do you feel that the issue with them when, when they're returning for therapy is, is not so much a, a specific pain issue needs to be worked on versus more of a deconditioning problem or a, an issue with their, their gait or, or, or certain weakness that they may have. And, and how much of that initial six, six visits or six weeks, how much of that is more about re, kind of reestablishing good habits and trying to work on their conditioning versus you know, targeting specific pains that they have? So when I, when I have a patient that, that is, you know, extremely deconditioned, it becomes very important, you know, if they've been bed bound or if they, they've had an acute flare up where of, of their chronic pain, so they're a chronic pain patient and they just haven't moved in, in, you know, three or four weeks, we would definitely focus a lot on just getting them up and moving or getting them stretching, getting them doing something. But my main focus at the beginning of each session uh, especially in the first couple sessions, is to try to make a positive difference in their pain. And whether that's taking it down, if they're at a, a six out of 10 pain, if we get them down to a four and a half or a five, then, then we were successful. And that's, that's really my main focus. So get them to feel a little bit better with whatever, whatever intervention that I want to provide. And then from there, then we start working on the um, strengthening stuff, the you know, posture stuff, gait stuff and all the other things like that. But my, my, always my first focus is try to control a little bit of the pain and then really work on strengthening and figuring out what, what is the reason, what's the, the true behind, behind the scenes problem. So if they're, you know, their gait is off, they've got a, 
you know, tipsy side to side trendelenburg gait pattern, and they've got hip pain, then we need to focus on, you know, glute, glute strengthening. But first we need to get them out of a little bit of pain before we start hammering them with exercises, because what we don't want is to overwhelm them and kind of, you know, once again, not have them buy into the program or not have them feel any better from what we did. And then it's a failed attempt at therapy. I'm assuming like, like myself, that the primary issue you treat for chronic pain patients is back pain. Uh, so, you know, low back pain, there's statistics out there, like 80% of, of people will have low back pain at some point or, or time in, in their life uh, for the, that's severe enough they'll need to see someone for, for treatment. Um, and uh, with, with statistics like that, you know, this becomes really important to have options to treat different patients. So for your patients with low back pain, what, what interventions or what treatments uh, kind of more, more specifically do you have that, that, you, that you use for treating their patients? So for just generalized non-specific low back pain, um, we really want to figure out what the cause is. So from, from all of my training, that can be from lots of different things. Most of the time, it's just mechanical low back pain. You can also have, you know, some discogenic pain or some other, other neurological type pains that can kind of represent as back pain or present itself as back pain. But um, the majority of the time when I have someone with like nonspecific low back pain, it's some mechanical issue, whether that is the facet joints or the joints in the back, how they move, or it is a muscular issue. So uh, multifidine muscles are the deep stabilizers of the lumbar spine, or even the paraspinals, but not as often will have muscle spasms and or um, trigger points or, or something going along in, in those muscles that are causing limitations of mobility um, in their lumbar spine um, as far as in, in flexion, or if they have, you know, extension limitations, then a lot of times that's facet joint issues. So we, we really focus on trying to figure out if we can recreate the pain with a movement or recreate the pain with really deep palpation into those muscles. And if we can recreate the pain and, and that's, that's the trick is this, does this feel exactly like your low back pain feels? And if the answer is yes, then, then we'll go and treat. So if we think it's a, um, a facet issue or a, a mobility issue in the lumbar spine, we'll do a lot of, um, mobilizations just to try to make the facet joints move or, High velocity, low amplitude manipulation has shown to be extremely effective for, um, for lumbar spine pain, as long as the patient's not unstable or has any issues there. Following that, we'll do some really prolonged stretching to try to get the, you know, the facet capsule to move a little bit better and then get all the muscles around there to move, um, especially the multifidi. And then uh, muscle-wise, uh, trigger point dry needling is extremely effective at reducing the muscle, the deep stabilizer muscles, the multifidine muscles right next to the lumbar spine to get them to actually relax all the way and then get somebody kind of out of that, you know, my back went out spasm in the lumbar spine, you know, episode. Now go a little bit deeper into, into what uh, dry needling is. So, so for a patient comes in and, and you say, okay, I think that dry needling is a, as an appropriate therapy. And a lot of times in, a, in the interventional pain world, we, there's a lot of context and framing what exactly we're going to be doing because there's a lot of trepidation as soon as the word needle comes out. So what, what was, what's the patient experience like? And, and uh, talk a little bit more about what dry needling actually is. So uh, dry needling uh, it was based on and originally came from uh, acupuncture. So we actually use an acupuncture needle, which is a very small monofilament, meaning there's no, there's no hole in the center for injection needle, which is 
once again, very small, very thin. And we use that and we actually put it inside the muscle belly right by where we identify as a trigger point or a really taut band in the muscle. So as we move and advance the needle down to that spot, we will get what we call a local twitch response. So the muscle will actually jump and twitch. And when the muscle jumps and twitches, it actually relaxes all the way. There's a lot of research behind um, why that works and also a lot of research behind why we have trigger points or why we develop them and, and what's kind of going on down all the way at the you know deep layer uh, in, in the muscles. But uh, I think that's not, not appropriate for this, this talk, but um, using, using the needles, we can actually get that muscle to actually relax all the way. Now, that process isn't exactly a party. No one comes in getting really excited to get needles stuck in them, uh, just like any of the other, um, you know, injections um, that are done. It's slightly uncomfortable. So putting the pop, getting the needle actually to go in the skin is, is not bad at all. But as we move and advance the needle, we'll, you'll get that what we call local twitch response where it feels like a muscle cramp. But after it cramps, it relaxes all the way. So one other, um, you know, kind of moving uh, to another maybe broad topic of, of treatment for physical therapy. Uh, is something called aquatic therapy. Uh, and so that's the physical therapy that's occurring in a, in a warm pool. Uh, and it, honestly, as an interventional pain physician, I don't, I don't have a lot of knowledge myself on when a patient is best for land-based therapy or aquatic therapy. Uh, so when we send a patient over for, you know, for physical therapy, in what situations, you know, is it better to start in a, in a, in a aquatic therapy type environment? And what is, at its core, what is aquatic therapy? So start aquatic therapy is basically in the pools that, that we utilize and we use are, are made by a company called HydroWorks. So it's essentially a warm water therapy pool, somewhere around 90 degrees. So all the patients enjoy uh, the warm temperature, which can help a little bit with that pain to start. Um, but all of our pools actually have a treadmill that's in on the floor of the pool. So we can actually get a patient walking and moving. So being in the water has a lot of benefits, especially with, um, being buoyant. So you're not as, you know, weight bearing with your, with your legs, with your, with your back, with everything else. Um, and then it'll allow everybody to move a little bit more um, than they can land base wise. I really tend to, to go aquatic therapy for the person that is very, very, very deconditioned or they're um, in a, you know, a really acute state of pain would be a good thing to stick them in there just to get them to move around a little bit. Um, but the deconditioned patient is the perfect person to put in aquatic therapy to start, um, you know, like I said before, to get everything moving, to get their muscles firing a little bit, to get them kind of just literally up out of bed rest and moving. With aquatic therapy, uh, when I've seen these pools in the past, it seems to be there are lifts and, and other ways for, for that deconditioned patient to get in and out of the pool. Uh, uh, just for our audience, you know, some of those people who are more deconditioned, maybe they're, they're in a, use a walker or maybe in a wheelchair. Did that, are they candidates for aquatic therapy and, and how do we get them in and out of the pool safely? So the pools that we have and the pools that we utilize are, um, like I said, HydroWorks pools. So the one that is uh, at the, my practice, we actually have just a, literally a door that you walk in. So you have to go up about a four to five inch step. And after you can go up a four to five inch step, there's actually handles around almost like parallel bars that you can hold on to. And then the water um, kind of equalizes pressure-wise, and then you step into the tank, you close the door, and you're done. So you really don't have to, we're not going downstairs, we're not climbing down a ladder or anything like that to get into the pool. 
um, you have to step up a, like I said, a four or five inch step and then you can do it. So anybody, if they're on a walker, I've even had people that were wheelchair bound that we just transferred into the, what they call the foyer, which is how you get into the pool. Um, we had them transfer into that and then it's, um, you know, it's very easy to get somebody in there. So as we get a patient into their initial you know, round of physical therapy, I think that it's really important that there is a uh, continuation of those efforts you know, beyond the, the formal physical therapy sessions. Uh, and, and part of that is, is, is providing them some structure for what to do once their, their visits are up. Uh, and typically we think of that, at least in my practice, as a, as a what we call a structured home exercise program. Um, so when a patient is getting close to finishing their, their sessions, or maybe if there are uh, informal work you want them to do between their sessions, uh, what does that look like at your practice and, and how do you structure that? So there are uh, lots of other exercise-based interventions that we will uh, provide for the patients. Uh, and that's really individually based. Um, the global term and the term that all physical therapists will use is, is you know, core stabilization. That's, that's, you know, that's the buzzword. And I find that there are a lot of patients that need core stabilization, um, but the core is, is a very broad, a broad term that includes, you know, all your abdominal muscles, all of your, your back stabilizing muscles, and also your glutes and legs and everything like that. Um, so it's really, it's really important that we figure out exactly what the patient needs instead of just throwing random exercises at them, you know. I'm sure um, if you've seen any of these, you've seen, you know, pulling my belly button towards my spine, you know, working on my transverse abdominus muscle. But what, you know, if you actually look and dig deep into the research behind the majority of that, um, it really doesn't reduce pain. That's not really the trick to get rid of chronic pain. However, after you get the pain under control, becoming strong, keeping movements, um, starting to overload the muscles, getting these people up and, you know, bending, twisting and moving is kind of, is kind of the trick, but the home exercise program structured, we never want to overwhelm the patient. We don't want to give them 25 different exercises that they, they have to complete, um, that are, you know, two hours out of their day because we don't find that it'll be successful. They won't do it. I mean, it's as simple as that. So I try to keep everything relatively simple and, you know, try to get the best bang for our buck. So we'll, you know, do anywhere between four and six exercises, whether that is some stretching, some mobility stuff, and then some, some form of strengthening for whichever muscles in their core really need to work on. This is a fantastic information. So uh, also, I think this is a great time to segue into, into our second segment of the, of the podcast. So uh, as you're talking about how, how you're working on, you know, coaching up uh, patients and, and how to continue their, their journey with managing their chronic pain, um, you know, after they leave your treatment, um, this uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't spend some time talking about how uh, Dr. Burchett uh, not only is an expert in, in uh, the field of physical therapy, but he's also a certified Ironman U coach. Uh, and, uh, and he comes uh, to that, to that uh, you know, coaching um, specialty with uh, a, a strong athletic background uh, on his own. So, so Drew has completed two full Ironman triathlons. He's completed 12 uh, 70.3 or, or half distance Ironman triathlons. Uh, and he's completed 25 marathons, which, uh, you know, that's in, in of itself is insane. You know, you think he's 60 years old, uh, but you know, he's probably half that, uh, uh and, you know, and he has a, a really impressive streak going of, of consecutive completions of the flying pig marathon in Cincinnati, which is cool. Uh, so for the last uh, segment of the podcast, I want to talk a bit about your, your, your journey with coaching 
and uh, maybe start it off by telling tell us a bit a bit more about what your your coaching practice is and, and what kind of athletes you coach. Yeah, so about uh, two years ago, one of my good friends and I, um, who's actually another you know medical background, he's actually got an athletic training degree and a couple of nutritional certifications. We we saw a, a big need for an increase um, in you know literally medical knowledge when it comes to triathlon coaching through through all of my adventures through triathlon um, you know adventures and failures is what is what I'll say figured out finally how to uh, correctly get myself to completion of of you know longer distance races so that idea came to mind and in, in talking with uh, my friend uh, Aaron Geyser uh, we ended up uh, forming a coaching business called performance and science and we take a very different approach versus a lot of other coaches that'll just kind of throw workouts at you and do different things like that. We try to look at um, the athlete as, as a whole person and figure out, um, you know, what their motivation is, but also use, use true scientific data to try to bring, to bring their performance up to what it needs to be. And also to more importantly, keep them enjoying the time and training and not injured. So the, the whole idea started where we, we thought it'd be a good idea to start uh, training, training a couple people. We tried one person out and he was extremely successful and we did it just pro bono for fun. And after we kind of continued to form our, uh, um, our thoughts and ideas, we all went out and got um, a bunch of different certifications in coaching, uh, minus through Ironman U, uh, which is Ironman University. Um, and then Aaron's is through... Um, company called Endura IQ, which actually is an international coaching company. So between those two certifications and then a bunch of other things that, that we do, we kind of, uh, started coaching athletes and, um, once again, basing everything on science using, um, different things like heart rate variability, uh, to make sure we don't over overtrain people. And then also, um, using different nutritional ideas, uh, instead of just the standard, extremely high carbohydrate uh, loading for, for athletes. We, we do actually a low, low carb, high, healthy fat coaching approach, and it's been extremely successful. When you're, when you're working with uh, potential, you know, prospects, uh, how do you decide if someone is going to be a good fit uh, for your, your strategy versus, you know, some other, you know, more general coaching strategies? So uh, we definitely like the the injured athlete, which is kind of funny, uh, that, that, you know, I deal with chronic pain during my, we'll call it my day job. And then we deal with injured athletes a lot, um, throughout the coaching aspect, um, and taking, taking that person, uh, and finding and seeking out that person and getting them back to what they, you know, back what they want to do is extremely, um, you know, enjoyable for all of us. Uh, but we, we seek out that person, uh, but we also seek out really high level triathletes as well, because getting, getting them to the, the top of the top level is, is very difficult and, and little tiny changes in their workouts, little tiny changes in their diet, little tiny changes in, you know, their cycling equipment, little things like that, um, can make a huge difference. And, and with my experience in, in racing and with, with Aaron's experience in racing, and then we brought a third coach on named Carolyn and her experience in racing, we've kind of been able to, you know, find every strategy possible to kind of get that super high level athlete to, to that next level, to get them to, you know, competing for, for the top spot in their age group 
in a triathlon or to you know Boston qualify for a marathon, um, et cetera. Now, when you're we're talking about working with an injured athlete uh, or, or someone who has a history of injuries, how often do you find that uh, uh, that it's something with their training versus maybe something with their diet, uh, or is it usually a combination? Uh, so, and you know, I, I I too you know can kind of convert it to a to a low carb, high fat, uh, and one it's super successful for for weight management, but I also know that you know putting good quality nutrients in your body. And I think that's all this, you know, that's something that translates to whether you're a person with a chronic pain who can't compete or, or if you're an athlete. So when you're evaluating, um, what, what, how much of it do you think is, is some combination versus, you know, more training based or more maybe dietary based? There's, there's definitely a, um, good combination of the two. A lot of times with, with chronically injured runners, especially chronically, chronically injured runners, um, it's really a, it's a running form issue more than anything else. And everybody tries to get up to a certain number of mileage or they try to push too hard. They try to do too much intensity and you, you know, combine all of that with poor diet nutrition or not enough protein or literally not enough calories. That's, that's the biggest thing that we run into is, is, uh, you know, you're doing two or three hours of exercise a day. Um, or you're doing doubles. So you're doing even more, you might have five exercises or five hours of exercise in, in, you know, the biggest build week of, of an Ironman, uh, or a half Ironman training. And they just literally are not taking in enough calories and that, that ends up being an issue, uh, when it comes there. But with the chronically injured athlete, we have to figure out number one, if we can figure out what it is, if I can see what's wrong with them in their running form, if I can see what's wrong with them with their cycling fit, then we can figure out exactly how to start the, you know, start the process of fixing that. And then on the back end, we do nutritional logs. We want, you know, see what they eat. We see, um, you know, everything, every aspect. And like I said, we, we monitor um, heart rate variability to make sure that they're not overtrained and they're not, you know, sick. We can, we can see sickness coming from a mile away just by looking at the heart rate variability or if they didn't sleep enough. I mean, there's, there's a lot of data that we, home through every day to try to make sure we can get that person to become successful. So I've also, I track my, my heart rate variability, uh, and, uh, I've done a, listened to a lot of podcasts and I've, I find that the topic fascinating and also super confusing. <laughs> I, I think in general, it's probably safe to say that it is more, you're following more of trends with it versus, you know, how it might be on a, on an individual day. Um, and, uh, and, and so you're looking more for kind of move kind of shifts and movements in that. Uh, with your, with your chronically injured patient, um, do you, as they're rounding into form and as they, as they are now on a, on a stretch where they're doing better and, and, and avoiding that next injury, do you generally see that, that correlating with an HRV trend? Um, cause you know, one of the things I haven't really, when you listen to podcasts about HRV, it's very rare that they really go into how this affects injury. So have you noticed any trends or, or anything you've noticed with your athletes in, in regarding to HRV and, and, uh, and how it may or may not improve as, as they improve um, with their, their consistent performance? So the biggest thing we're, we will see is, is overtraining with it or actual sickness. So measuring, measuring heart rate variability is just trying to see how how settled or calm your, your sympathetic nervous system is, is essentially all it's doing. So it's measuring the difference between we're talking, you know, pieces of a second, the difference between each time your heart is beating essentially. So 
as far as an injury, like an actual orthopedic injury or physical injury, we're not going to see as much variation in the hurry variability. Um, but with, with someone that has, you know, someone that's, a that's not great at sleeping and they, they slept for four hours the night before or, or something along those lines, and especially poor nutrition, poor recovery, poor things like that. That's, what's really going to jump out with heart rate variability more than anything else. So I'm going to sabotage myself a little bit by jumping back into the, into the first segment. Um, but have you ever tried to use HRV measurements for patients with chronic pain? Uh, is, is that, has that ever leaked over into your physical therapy practice for chronic pain patients? You know, Mike, it really hasn't. Um, but that's, uh, that is a good idea to, to kind of bounce back and forth and be a heck of a research, um, opportunity to try to see if there's trends with, um, what their pain is and how high their pain is that day, um, which would, it would make sense that it would kind of correlate because, you know, increased chronic pain, you're not going to sleep as well. You're going to be, you know, on edge, your sympathetic nervous system is going to be, you know, heightened. You're, you're going to have difference in neurotransmitters all throughout, um, everything with, um, and peptide and all that other fun, fun jazz that, that would probably make a difference in the heart rate variability. Um, but to my knowledge, I don't think there's ever been research to try to link the two together. Yeah. So on our interventional pain, there's been, there's been a recent push towards, you know, outcomes measures beyond the pain score. Uh, And I think it could be fascinating as you look into, into HRV and you're talking about the, the, the interplay or the balance between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. And you look at a patient with chronic pain, who's, who's usually kind of chronically, you know, uh, an overdrive of that sympathetic nervous system because of those painful stimuli. I think, I think his response to treatment, you would probably see improved trends in their HRV. Uh, and, uh, that could be a night, that could be one way of, you know, helping to assess whether, you know, new treatments or experimental treatments truly are, are making, making a difference in addition to their, you know, their osteoarthritis disability index. So there's a zero claudication, you know, score or, um, and their, their improvement in their mood or their sleep and some of the other metrics we measure. Uh, so kind of moving back into the coaching, uh, side, uh, tell me, tell me one story, uh, if you, if you can, I know we're putting you on the spot here, but one story of, a, of an athlete, uh, that, uh, was dealing with chronic injuries and, and how, how you've worked with them and kind of how they're doing now and, uh, um, uh, and how your, your coaching strategy is, is helping them achieve new heights. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the, the best story I have for that, we had a, um, female athlete. Um, she's a very high level runner, um, and is really, um, very, very talented, has just gobs of talent. Um, but every time she would get up a little bit higher in her mileage, she would end up, uh, with, you know, anterior shin pain. Um, and that's, that's the, the, the bane of existence for all runners, you know, shin splints, or, you know, you have a stress fracture occurring. Um, so with her, we really had to focus on a, a lot of different things, um, as far as running form. Um, and that's something that, that we will typically look at for a lot of our athletes, especially, especially if they've been injured before. So with her, um, and with, with similar athletes, um, with anterior shin pain, a lot of times their cadence is a little bit too slow and their turnover is not fast enough. So, um, as they strike, they, they do what we call an overstriding. So they're overstriding and they're, they're putting little tiny micro bending moments on their tibia. Um, just with, um, every step they take. So, you know, if, if you're stepping 160 steps per minute and we're doing that, uh, you know, half the time, one leg, the other, 
Um, and then we're doing that minutes per mile, miles per marathon. All of a sudden, it's a whole bunch of micro traumas to that bone. Um, and it's very common for people to develop stress fractures. So with, with this particular athlete, a change in her running form um, and getting her, you know, her tibia vertical is what we call it when, when she makes her strike and um, getting her out of that overstriding and kind of increasing her cadence up to, you know, 175 to 180. Um, it really made a significant difference in her. And we, we were able to get her to run um, significantly further without any pain. Um, there was other, there was other uh, interventions that, that, uh, that we did as well. Um, we ended up dry needling um, some of her soleus muscle doing some uh, posterior tibialis uh, manual therapy to it, just try to get that muscle to calm down as well. Um, and then into her gastroc. Um, but the main thing with, with those chronically injured patients is um, getting them, you know, good running form. I think that's, that's what's, what's big time overlooked. You know, some therapists will, or um, some coaches will just throw, Oh, you just need to do some stretching. You need to do, you know, these different drills, you need to do this. But uh, when it comes down to it, no matter how, um, how good you do in the drills and, and how many times you stretch, if your running form is off and that exacerbating factor is always there, then they're never going to become a healthy, you know, runner. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of what we, we try to focus on is, is fix the, fix the form so that, you know, function and the, the end result you can get there without being chronically injured. You're still working with that, uh, that athlete and how, how's she doing? Yes, we're still working with her. She's a, she's about a week out of a full Ironman race. And um, once again, she's very, very, very talented. And I would not be surprised if she doesn't um, come top 10 in the race as far as females go or potentially get up real close to winning the race. Because once again, very talented athlete. Um, and she is, um, she's very, very, very fast. So when you, when you have an athlete like that and you see them progressing and then you see them perform and then you know, maybe they win the race, uh, how does the, how does the, as a coach, uh, how, what's the emotions like when, when you see your athletes do well, uh, and, and how's that, or not do well, uh, something happens and, and comparing that to your own experiences. So, you know, over the course of 25 marathons, you know, a dozen, uh, half Ironmans and multiple full Ironmans, like, uh, how does how you personally uh, your experience how does that help you or, or how does that how's it different from when when it's an athlete that you coach versus your own uh, performance? So um, it's definitely almost the same amount of excitement to to see you know one of your athletes be extremely successful, um, and that's uh, you know it's always fun crossing the finish line for me is you know, it's the reason why we train, you know, we want, we want to maintain a healthy lifestyle. So yeah, let's sign up for marathons. Right. Um, so that's, that's the reason we train to cross the finish line to, you know, um, me as a, an, an extremely competitive person, I want to be my personal best. That's always my goal. Um, but you know, as, as we age, um, we, we do slow down. Um, and, and that's just a fact of life. Um, so is, you know, am I ever going to, achieve my, my personal best. I, I still have, I still have a little bit of that left in me, but, um, you know, when, when, when we get to that point, we have to, you know, get excited about other things and, and coaching athletes, um, and seeing them achieve and, and, you know, and seeing them do things that, that I could never do because they're, they're at such a high level is, is, you know, extremely fulfilling, um, on, on the back end of it. Um, 
I've, I've failed just as many races. I've, you know, I've cramped my way through probably three quarters of those marathons and, and had terrible races in triathlon. Um, I think, uh, one of the times I did a, a half Ironman race, my, my calves and my quads started cramping at about one mile into the run. So I had, you know, another 12 miles of, uh, of lovely, you know, fast walk cramp, maybe run, maybe fast walk cramp, you know, back and forth. So when, when we have somebody that's not successful or that, you know, doesn't follow the race plan exactly, or, you know, the day wasn't theirs, you know, not, not every day can be a winner. And we, we try to educate, um, all the athletes on that, but when we have that, um, that athlete, you know, we can speak from experience and say, you know what, I've been there before. And, you know, and I know what it took to, for you to complete and finish those 12 miles feeling like, you know, absolute trash. So, you know, we, we can still be extremely proud in that sense as well, because they did something, and, um, you know, they, they had the grit to get through something that most people would just, you know, turn their nose up and walk off the course. Oh, that's fair. That, that's, uh, you know, one of the things I, I think that, uh, as I've done my own, you know, during some of the, the races and that, I, th- I think that the race and across that finish line is almost a, a, a celebration of the journey as well. So, and all the, all the mornings getting up biking or running or getting to the pool and then getting from your run to the shower, to, to the pool, uh, and then back and then, and then just kind of moving on and on with, with, with your day and, and day after day, week after week and builds towards, towards this, you know, event. Uh, and so, uh, I think that you know, it's a celebration of the journey. And then at the same time, we're also trying to continually beat your, beat your best and do your best and, and, and achieve, um, because we're all, most of us in the triathlon world are very type a, you know, achievement driven people. Uh, well, th- you know, this has been a really, really fantastic discussion. Uh, I think that, uh, uh your, your wealth of knowledge and, and physical therapy and, and some of the applications of chronic pain is, is, uh, it's really fun. Helps me, helps me learn, helps me be a better pain physician, just listening to you and talking to you about this. And then, um, you know, the coaching world, I think is really fascinating as well. Uh, so you know, thank you very much for, for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to accommodate. And uh, uh, we're going to close it out here at the Premier Pain Talk. Uh, Dr. Uh, Burchett, uh, uh, any par- parting words? No, I, uh, I had a great time. Um, thanks for having me on. All righty. Well, uh, that's another episode of Premier Pain Talk. Uh, don't forget to rate us, uh, give us good feedback, uh, any comments, uh, and uh, tune in for uh, future episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Premier Pain Talk, where we understand your pain and share solutions that can improve your quality of life. This episode is brought to you by Premier Pain Treatment Institute, which has convenient Cincinnati area locations in Loveland, Mount Orb, and Hillsboro. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you get updates on all new episodes. Feedback is sincerely appreciated. 